Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Brian, and today is Monday, August 14th, 2023, and this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. And tonight we're chatting about becoming an authority in your industry. My guest this evening is a first-generation immigrant who found herself $135,000 in debt and a single parent. She bootstrapped her passion for photography into a global business that licensed, licensed content into 79 countries. She exited in a multi-million dollar deal when she sold the company to Bill Gates in the middle of a recession, by the way. Uh, I think she's got some valuable experience to speak on the subject here to discuss some ways to achieve that authority status in your field. I would like to welcome to lots to talk about Beate Chalette. Close. Good, 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 good enough. Yes, Beate Chalette. Yes, I mean I can, I can live with that as long as you don't call me Betty. I'm so excited to be here, Brian. <laughs> and I love the music, by the way. I was like jamming in the intro. I'm like, I want to, I want to hear the whole song. That is a, uh, that is actually was a listener or uh, someone I had on that ended up being an audience member. That's a, a singer in Canada that uh, allows me to use it for I mean that is like smooth and silky and <laughs> and I want to listen to that when I'm driving across the desert so really I love it yeah I will definitely I'll send you his uh, I'll send you a link to his uh, to his page yeah. so you can listen to all his stuff but uh, introduce yourself to my audience um I'm I'm guessing maybe poking around they've seen you around but we're kind of we're kind of kind of the outlier community um introduce yourself to my audience and uh, and we'll, then we'll get to get chatting a little bit absolutely so my name is Beata Chalette I'm the known as the growth architect I work with a lot of visionaries thought leaders that is from a one percenter to somebody who has just crazy big ideas and likes to fly at 30,000 feet and I help them land planes, building processes, systems, and workflows, strategies, so all the stuff that a lot of people go like, ooh, that sounds really unsexy. And I make it a lot of fun so that uh, so that they can grow their authority and scale their impact. Because in order for you to get where you want to go, you got to know where you want to go. And then you need a strategy that has systems to get there. I uh, I have a ton of entrepreneurs, side hustlers, kind of um, make it, you know, kind of build them along the way and then maybe leave that J-O-B or just take dive whole, whole, whole hog in and then go that route. Uh, so I thought the the topic was very relevant to the to the audience and um, and kind of learning from somebody. I mean, you you probably just fell right into this whole gig right um it, it started you didn't have any struggles um there was no problem you just kind of be, you're the growth architect right that's uh, that's it, how it happened yeah, I, I, I was born a princess in germany and, and then people kept handing me things and then one day somebody right. would you like to be the queen i said yes and uh, <laughs> and then you gave up to be the queen and you, you became the growth architect. I mean, that's what a what I a mean, you know, story. what a what a what a classic growth story. Yes. I mean, of course, nothing, nothing, nothing but not the truth here. So the truth really is that um, the story is more of the unruly kid that talked too much and got, um, you know, got notices um, 
that I was too disruptive. And I come from Germany. So in Germany, a lot of things are very by the book and straightforward, which, you know, they are like Canada is also pretty straightforward. And, um, you know, people building a whole system based on rules and regulations, and then people that need to follow the rules and regulations because otherwise they're going to get in trouble. And I always thought rules are meant for two reasons, to bend or break them. And accordingly, I had a um, an interesting ride. But I originally, I mean, I always loved create, the creative arts. I always liked being around, I mean, I call them crazy, but they're, they're unusual. They're non-conforming. They have big ideas. And sometimes they're these, 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 these places that they can go, the art that they create is so extraordinary. And then they're all broke. And it kind of bothered me. So I wanted to help them. Oh, cool. Uh, so how, I mean, when did you come here? Adult? Were you already an adult? Were you kind of yeah. young adult? You were already an adult. So you yeah, I was, I was 23 at the time I had a photography degree, which is my only actual degree. I was a photo editor at Elle magazine at the time in anybody's book. And I was 23 as making what, like 60 grand at the time. Everybody was like, wow, that was a really good job for being 23 years old back then. And, um, you in know, the 90s, a, right? yes, a little earlier, even then that was the late, late eighties. Um, but yes, just oh, around I was gonna, I was late nineties, at least. Right. I, I, was... I really, I really appreciate that. I think that part of, you know, what I think we also want to talk about and to make this really relevant is also shortcuts to success and what it means, you know, when you're aging in, in an environment that is driven by the young that have another idea, the Alex Hormoses that take everything that already pre-existed, give it a new spin and put it out as their own and then make a fortune with it. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? You know, and how do you, how do you stay relevant over a period of time? But I think we'll leave that a little bit for later, but for right now, you know, what, what's sort of interesting about my journey is that I've always been interested in what, what works right now and how do you stay relevant in, in, you know, in changing environments and in recessions and fires, floods, riots, earthquakes, September 11th, and a tsunami, all of all of which things are that I had to had to overcome. And when I was this photo editor at Elle magazine and I was making the money, I had the job, there was this this conversation that I had with my my editor in chief and I said, Well, what's next? And she says, What do you mean what's next? You're photo editor. I said, Yeah, but what's next? She says, Well, you're photo editor. There is nothing else. Now you need to get experience. Is that experience in what I'm already doing? She says, yes. I said, and then where do I go? She says, you're photo editor. I said, this is going nowhere. Because I, at 23, I had reached the top of the field. I mean, after you photo editor at Elle magazine, what are you going to be senior photo editor at Vogue magazine? Like how unappealing is that? And then you're going to be super senior, senior editor or lead off, lead off photo. I mean, and then I quit and I immigrated to the United States. It's, it's, um, was that, so when you got that job, was that like a, a dream of your, like, was that, I, I mean, not to, that that was the pinnacle, but you were excited when you got that job. Yeah, because How- I, I realized that I was better at the business side behind things, Brian. Okay. 
And that became very quickly. So I realized that even though I loved the creative arts, sadly, I wasn't as good. I mean, I was good, but I wasn't exquisite. I was not a one percenter. And I realized that at 20, that for me to become that, I realized one thing, that in order to be an artist at that level, you had to spend an enormous amount of time to have this experience that would hone this unique style. And I knew this was going to take a lot of time that I didn't feel I had or wanted to put into it because it goes, you know, hence the decision that with Elle magazine, I'm clearly impatient. So, <laughs> so I wanted to go into something that I could, where I could influence creativity, but also use other skills. And I was, at an assistant with a still life photographer, which is what I would have been. I would have done still lives. And there was a point where we're like in the studio by ourselves and we are with a bunch of duffel bags from the sporting goods manufacturer and I'm stuffing bags for a catalog. And I go, hmm. <laughs> Uh, I want to go back to that photo editor. <laughs> and 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 then and then I and then I became a photo editor because I felt that that had more contact with people because I'm an extrovert and I got to work with all these photographers. I got to be in the studio. I just didn't have to stuff duffel bags. Right. <laughs> right. Um so you kind of went out on your own you made a decision was that when you came here or so you quit l you came here um was it right away that you decided to go on your own and build something or was there a, a long lead up to that well i quit my job at l magazine because my dad got fired my father was a ceo of a dairy company okay. and he had been probably a little bit of a jerk uh, or arrogant or cocky or whatever you want to call it. And when my dad got fired, I looked at myself and I said, Ooh, I'm seeing stuff. I'm seeing myself in him. And, and I'm, I'm editor. I'm photo editor at L magazine. People will do anything for me to get, to get in with L to get their stuff published. And I realized nobody cared about me. All they cared about the power that I had. And I decided that I needed to leave this insane environment and go somewhere where I could become the person that I liked. And that's when I quit. Nice. Nice. That's that's a pretty big realization. You said you were 23, mm -hmm. 20, 24. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's... Um... That's pretty solid uh, start to a, a lifelong journey, I think. I, I think, did I mean, did you regret it at points where you were like, oh my God, what did I do? Or was that like the moment and you made the decision and it was the it was the right decision the whole way? I tell you when I thought it was the wrong decision is when I was on an airplane flying to Miami because I became an au pair on a houseboat and the guy next to me had eczema and he was scratching himself in every place possible to, to your imagination for nine consecutive hours. <laughs> that, I want to go back. Can I do a redo? 
That's when I'm like, what in the bloody world am I doing here? So you came to Miami and, and what next? I took, uh, uh, I went all the way to Key West. I was in a houseboat for four months. I lived uh, in a houseboat without water and electricity. And I had to deal with things that I never thought I was going to deal with. <laughs> I mean, we, we, I live in a, I live in a travel trailer right now with my wife and three St. Bernard's and uh, we sold a house and 35 acres and we're traveling around 35 acres. Yeah. We had 35 acres in Minnesota that we sold and uh, moved into a 32 foot travel trailer and um, going to find other places to live because Minnesota was uh, just too cold. It, it's uh, a little chilly. Yes. Rumor has it. I was, yes. I was there for 20 years and we realized that um, although we loved what we were doing, building our farm and a sustainable life and all that, uh, it wasn't sustainable when we got old because we weren't going to want to do it in the cold. Like, I'm okay with doing chores. I'm okay with raising chickens and meat and all the stuff until the day I keel over. But not in negative twenty, <laughs> not anymore. No, and 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 how good for you to go on. It's just a sound. You know what it sounds like to me. It sounds like to me. It's like, you know, the 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 quest for a better life. One day he woke up. He looked at his horse. He looked at his kingdom, and he had the yearning. And he took his sword and he went on his horse. Got his bride, <laughs> and and they they. They fought the dragon and off they go to find uh, Neverland. Our, I mean, ours was basically I was standing in a field and it was uh, 14 inches of snow in October. And I went, I can't do this anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> and That's I just, nuts. Yeah, I went. Well, and I, you know, I actually went in and I said to my wife, I said, we really got to talk. I don't think I can do this. She goes, I've been thinking about leaving, too. And I said, well, that's that's what it is right there. So That's so, why you married her, because you're already aligned. Pretty much, pretty much. We've made some, uh, we've had some really uh, serendipitous moments in our lives together and um, coming together. So, yeah, it's one of those things. We're, we're usually on the same page, even when we're not on the same page. Okay. It just depends on how many times you go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So, uh, so you built, a, you built a thing and um, was that... Was that the first thing you you started when you got here, or did you um, you lived in a houseboat for four months, four I, years? Did you for, say four for, years? For, for, yeah, for about four months, and then I, I went four to months. Los Angeles and I started uh, as an artist representative working for a hair, makeup, and styling agency. They then asked me to develop a photographer representation because of my experience, and so I added the photographer repping business, and that's kind of what we did. I did a little bit of photo production, not too much at the time. And then a massive recession hit. I had met a man who was perfect, except he had two flaws. He was a pathological liar and an alcoholic, which I figured out a little bit too late. And next thing I know, I am laid off with no severance package. And I didn't even know what that was at the time and had to figure out how to run my own business with a six months old and a marriage that was going down the drain faster than you can, faster than you can say hello. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say I've been there, but I've probably been in very similar waters, but on the other side of it. So I, uh, I, I know what you were going through there uh, enough to, to commiserate. Uh, you didn't quit though. Uh, you, you, um, you bootstrapped it and you built something pretty decent through a recession. 
Uh, it sounds like through this whole story so far, um, this building authority in your field has been key, very key um, to kind of get you where you're at, even though you're moving along. Um, yes. With, it, it seems like you really dive in and um, and are listened to um, and you make and you make your way. Yeah, so I think um, a good, good, good point to stop and take take a look at sort of what some of these pointers really are in this. So first thing, I'm German and I have a German accent, even though I like to believe I don't. I've been told I do. And people assume from Germans that they're organized and project oriented and systematic and they got all of this down without ever thinking about it. That's an assumption. In my case, it also happens to be true. And I actually really like it. So part of the branding then, in order to build my authority, would have to be to add that into my brand. When I got my first production client, it was Levi Strauss from Germany, the German division of Levi Strauss. And when I asked her, I said, how did you find me? She said, somebody said, call Beate in Los Angeles. I'm like, wait, what? Somebody said to you, call me by my first name, and you found me in a city of 13 million people? Well, I guess I need to put that in my business name. And so my business name was Beate Works, because that was before Dream before DreamWorks existed. They copied me, those <laughs> bastards. Okay. So so let's let's I was first here. And I called my listen, I called my people the beehive way before Beyonce. So these <laughs> these copycats need to just knock it off. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do I, I, I do come off as the Beyonce type, I'm sure. Uh, but I've actually I actually knew that that's what they were called. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, what what is it? Was you know put a put a put a ring on it and you yeah gonna... something something like that. I, I bartended got... for a decade, so I I was around okay. all the yeah. every song. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so so that was really um that was really one of the the teaching points along that you really have to listen to how people get get to find you, and then look at this on whether or not that's a brand you can incorporate, and so. The growth architect, the brand that I have today, was born very much along the same lines because people always said, oh, my gosh, you're so good at these systems and so good at these processes. And can you tell us how you do it? I said, it's so easy. Why? I mean, it's like there's like nothing to it. And I was like, we don't know how to do it. Can you help us? I'm like, well, it's like, a, you know, you just kind of like need to follow the blueprint. Well, what is the blueprint? Well, the blueprint's really easy. There's five steps to it. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, it's like building a house with a blueprint. Well, tell me. Well, oh growth architect blueprint <laughs> and so that's what you have to listen to what people tell you and then as you build your authority you want to be in harmony with the assumption that people already make about you and this is one of the things in authority building in authority platform building is really 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 critical is that a lot of times we want to apologize for the things that we are and what we've experienced. So now I have had 10 years of just brutal hardships, fires, floods, riots, earthquakes, tsunami, September 11th. I've been wiped out more times than anybody I know. And there's a part where you just want to stop talking about that and you go like, well, but I sold my business for millions of dollars to Bill Gates. 
Then you find out nobody wants to hear that you, I mean, that's great because that's the outcome. They really want to know the story. And you're like, do I really have to go there again? Do I really have to revisit this misfortune, my bad decisions of, you know, all the things that I've did that I've done. And they go and they say, well, yes, because we want you to tell us what you did to get there. And so in your authority platform, you have to think about the story that you bring, you know, and when, when I work with my clients, what I do in the story storytelling part, I make them write down their stories on that. They typically, that they typically talk about. And we look at the past of the stuff that made them. Now, everybody has had trauma. Everybody. Everybody has triggers. Everybody has a bad mom, grandmother, aunt, uncle, nutcase dad, uh, alcoholic, drug addict. All uh, of the above. <laughs> abusive brother or, or, or all of the above, right? So now you need to go and you look at this and you need to say, what can I say and what am I comfortable with saying without re-traumatizing myself every time I talk about it? Because that in authority platform building is really, really, really critical. I'm going to give you a very specific example. My mother has issues, serious issues. And my mother drove me to a suicide attempt. That only didn't happen because my parents were so clean cut, they didn't even have pills in the bathroom, which is why I didn't try to kill myself because there was nothing. So for the longest time, I thought about, you know, did I now try to kill myself or did I not try to kill myself? And I'm like, nah, it really wasn't a suicide attempt. Today, I know that it was a suicide attempt because would I have had something? I would have, I would have taken it. But what can I talk about when it comes to my relationship with my mother? Because my mother is still alive. Right. And so I have forgiven her because I needed to release that, but I haven't forgotten. So I have made a conscious choice that the abuse that I suffered by the hands of my mother is now nothing other than a vague description, but there are no specifics. Out of respect, that's a choice I make. So when you build this authority platform and you talk about your stories, you also have to be very deliberate. Because the last thing you want is then people coming at you and you say, you're so disrespectful, your parents are still alive, you know, uh, uh, look at you because people will do that. It's still your mother. Uh, how dare you? She did the best she could. Sure, she did. Right. So I will not talk about this until the day when she departs. And then I'll revisit this part of the story because you're going to have to tell the story, the making of the becoming story. So you want to go and pull out the pieces that you're comfortable with. So I'm comfortable with the piece talking about that I went with my father to his office on the weekend, that I saw that there were four secretaries, that was his big office, and there was a boardroom attached to it. I thought it was going to be so cool to be a secretary, but it was definitely better to be the boss. <laughs> For sure. For Bigger sure. office, boardroom. I'm sitting at the head of the table. Pfft, yeah. So... So you, 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 you pull out these stories because that builds your authority based on what do I need to tell that people believe that I got here for the right reasons and that I 
didn't get here because somebody handed me stuff because that's not a good story. Like the Prince Charles story of Great Britain is a story that nobody really cares about. I mean, I certainly don't. Dude, you know, the guy was a prince. He got everything handed to him. He has a stipend. He, he runs around in these stupid outfits. He causes more problems than anything. He's a very disturbed individual. And somebody says, good idea to make him king. Go ahead. <laughs> now he rules. He rules nothing. He rules nothing. <laughs> it's an illusion. So, it's a story. Um, so there's something that, that we talked a lot about um, in communities that I'm associated with is imposter syndrome. Um, when you're trying to build an authority, as an, build yourself up as an authority figure, how do you gain that confidence that you know enough? Because there's somebody that always knows more. There's somebody that's doing it better. Um, and I, I'm just a realist enough to know that. I may be doing it different. I may be doing it equally as good. But how do you get oh, past that imposter syndrome that I I am the authority figure? Uh, you, you 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 know you just you just you just do. <laughs> it it it's if you're waiting for somebody to tell you that you're an authority, I am now with all the authorities bestowed into me. Declare you an authority on the subject. Everybody nice. who's listening, nice. it's done. Moving on to the next thing. This is how easy it is. Muhammad Ali became the greatest boxer of all times, as the story has been told 10,000 times. It's because one day he decided that he was going to be the greatest boxer of all times. And then he went into the face of his opponents and he yelled at them, how does it feel to lose against the greatest boxer of all times? And, you know, and he just used intimidation techniques. And, and from there on, the press called him the greatest boxer of all times. Well, I called myself the growth architect. Now, everybody calls me the growth architect, so therefore I must be the growth architect, but I called myself the growth architect first. I just made somebody else repeat it back to me. And then we trademarked it. So it's a deliberate decision. When you're in, when you're in business and you talk about imposter syndrome, right? Everything always starts with an idea. You do not have to have it all figured out. You don't have to do it all by yourself. There's no medal of honor for doing it all by yourself. What I want you to think about is that there's a very simple concept that explains exactly why we all have imposter syndrome. It is because we go to school, somebody gives us existing information, they ask us to retain existing information, then we have to regurgitate existing information, and then we get an A. Shut up, sit down. Then we get more information as we go in the next school system, middle school system, high school, college, existing information. Remember it, regurgitated, you get an A. And then we go in the real world and people say, tell us who you are. Tell us what you're made out of. Tell us what you bring to the table. And you go like, where's the information? Where, 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 where do I learn? Where do, where do I remember? Where do I regurgitate? Who's giving me an A? And there's nobody. And then people fall into depression. That's insanity. So the idea really is to say what you've been given is the basis. Because the basis that you've been given is the postal worker job. Existing information, do what you're being told, don't ask any questions. You know, put the stamp from here to there, enter the information, get an A, and then you get to go home. If that's Dog what you the, want. Dog in the machine. Yeah. So so the imposter syndrome comes from the discrepancy, in my opinion, and I, of I don't have any, any, anything other than my opinion on this, is that we still want somebody to give us an A because we are so trained to getting an A. 
or at least having the option of getting an A. And now there's nobody out there to give us an A other than we have to give ourselves an A and we're going to go, oh, no bragging, no bragging. Mommy always said no bragging. You got, I mean, I, I, you may not have, um, you had the authority to tell us that it's okay, that we are an authority. So I think you have the authority to uh, tell us where it comes from. Cause I think you're spot on. Um, I, I definitely, the school system, the public education system, especially is something that I, I, I dive into regularly and think about and, um, and try to think about the effects that it had on me different things. I mean, anything from the bell ringing and we get up and we go to lunch and the bell rings and we go to a different class. Um, it's just like you said, just putting us as a cog in the, in the system. It makes yeah. perfect sense why we are craving that, um, give me an A, you know, that, that, um, gratification of, of knowing all the information. Yes. And that's not innovation and that's not thought leadership. And that's not a visionary. That is the opposite of that. That is somebody who's made a mistake and discovered chewing gum. And that's somebody who made a mistake and discovered something else. And somebody says, we got to go to the moon. That's just it. We got to get there. Oh, okay. We've never gone to the moon. There's no information. We can remember it. We can regurgitate it. We, we don't get an A. If anything, it looks like this is going to be somewhere between a D and an F. Right, right. So, so if we, if if the imposter imposter syndrome, like, let's throw it out. Um, how how big, like, tail ending on that? How big is mindset? It, it, like, that is a mindset imposter syndrome. Once we get that out, how important is that in our success? Like, if if that wavers, does that have to be like? laser focus for us to be as successful as possible so the the path it, it's really super simple so people always try to make it sound really complicated so you pay them tens of thousands of dollars to help you with this concept it's really very simple if we in minnesota and it snows and we want to go skiing or snowboarding we are going to need some sort of skill the skill depends where on the mountain we're gonna go on whether we go to the greens the blues the blacks the diamonds the double black diamonds you can of course do the double black diamonds with the gondola but that's really cheating you know that's really only part of the experience so when you when you think about that you want to have the experience of the double black diamond where you jump for six feet, I call this the oh shit moment because you get out of the gondola, you go to the edge, you look down, you go like six feet of ice as a rock, an immediate sharp turn, and then it's just all the way down with a whole bunch of moguls. I am absolutely screwed, but I'm going to go anyway. In order for you to go there, you have to have done a couple of things. You have to have made the decision that you're going to be one day going up that gondola, that you're going to take that that run. Number two, you've had to have lessons. You had to have practice. You have to have the gear. You have to have skis that are in, in good enough shape to do this or snowboard. You have to have a helmet, hopefully. And you have to have all these things in place for you to make that jump. Because now you trust that your skill set that you've practiced is the right skill set to get you down that really steep hill to have that double black diamond experience. So when you go out with mindset, you can say, eh, snowing sounds good. I'm just going to grab a board, 
go somewhere but you don't have an experience because you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're learning for. You don't know what you're dressing for. You don't even know where to drive to. So probably it's going to be a pretty crappy experience because it's a, a wishy-washy idea. You haven't flushed it out. So who knows where you end up? So the better experience is to say, I'm going to go to Aspen. I'm going to go to you know Montana. I'm going to go to Mammoth. I'm going to go to Vermont. I'm going to go to wherever I want to go. And I'm going to plan it out because I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this decision. So mindset is the clarity of your goal to say, one day I'm going to be in Vermont. And I'm going to go to the steepest possible run in the double black diamond. That's the vision. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know how to get there. You don't need to know how many lessons you need to take. Yet none of this. That's the, that's the clarity of the vision. Vermont double black diamond. And then you start with where you are at. So we reverse engineer this now and we say, okay, that's our, that's our point. That's where we are. So from where I am to where I need to go, meaning I have no clothes, no outfit, never taken a lesson. What's my first step? Go somewhere where there's snow, put a border skis on, start with the green runs. Until you get better to get to the next level, the next level, the next level, the next level. And then one day when you do that, you'll be you'll be in good enough shape. So the mindset part is the clarity of the vision. Now, the trick here is that sometimes people, especially in business, they go like million dollars, seven-figure business, eight-figure business, passive income. And then I go and I say, Well, that's all great, but is money is 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 it about money? Is is that is that all you want? Is that money? Or is there something else here at place? What if we, that's why we are an impact-driven company, because we help people make an impact. We found, I found that when I help people to think about their impact, they do way better than if we just talk about money, because most people, contrary to what you think is happening in internet marketing, they want money as a result of the impact that they're making. Yeah. Not the other way around. So. <laughs> If I help people make an impact, they automatically get compensated for it. So now, now if I say, if your listeners right now think about what is the impact that you want to make, and you say to me, I want to impact 100,000 people, I'm going to say that's really good. That's the vision. Impacting 100,000 people. That's the vision. How many people are you reverse engineering happening right now? 10. Okay, so we got, we got 999,990 to go. So what, are you, what have you done to get to the 10? So how do we multiply it by this number to get to the 100,000? That becomes the strategy. The strategy then drives the processes and the workflows. So... The mindset is really, if you if you if you really think about it, it's not woo-woo, it's a strategic piece of a marker that you put in the road. Like, you know, you left Minnesota for finding a better place to live. So let me guess, you didn't go to Canada. Um, not yet. <laughs> no, we're not no. Um yeah, oh, Eureka. Right? In Montana. Like, why would you do that? Why would you get from the cold to the... You would not leave the cold to go to the cold. So you're right. probably going the other direction. 
Yeah, yeah, we definitely we we definitely took a, a stock in what where we wanted to be. What the mm-hmm. actually not where we wanted to be the the condition. And and actually, it started out when we decided we were leaving, we were just going to go to Idaho and buy property in the banana belt because it was warmer than Minnesota. And um, we both looked at each other at one point and said, why are we going to Idaho, first of all? And we decided that when we were going to buy this raw property, we were going to need someplace to stay while we put together what we were doing. Uh, so we were going to put together an RV to do it. And we said, we should really go where we want to be before we decide to settle roots again. So we were going to have an RV anyway. So we decided to travel around and look at things. So, so now the mindset was anything but this. Right. The first action was the commitment to the plan, sell everything. Then it was back to where are we right now? We, we, we just sold our stuff. We need to, we need to now get to this goal of finding another place to live. We don't know what that what that place yet is. So now the strategy showed up right. as you had made the first decision. That's yeah. mindset. For sure. For sure. I mean, like you said, um, you know, anywhere but here was was the catalyst to make it happen. And then as we, you know, and I'm glad we did stop. I'm glad we stopped and went well, we should really think about this because I think um, I think another move and another I don't want to say failure. What we did in Minnesota, we we had five years into actually more like seven to eight into a homestead, building it and doing all the stuff there. Um, I don't think we we failed at it. We learned a lot. Um, but I think if we had gone somewhere else and not really vetted where we were going to be and set up and did the thing again and failed again i think we would have just given up well but i will also say that this goes into some of the business building stuff we talk about you know i talk a lot about the airtight avatar and the avatar is the customer profile of the person that you are selling to and what you're describing is very classic is that within the pandemic the aftermath of the pandemic the reevaluation of what matters to us, what's the most important thing in our lives, where do we want to be? People's values have changed significantly. And what we're seeing in the marketplace right now is that there is a transformational shift of what has become desirable and what isn't. A lot of business owners go like, I don't know why my stuff is not working anymore. Well, it's because you're trying to sell to the same person that doesn't exist anymore. Your avatar has become a phantom avatar. So if I wanted to sell to you now chickens or farm equipment, I'd be hard-pressed to sell anything to you because that's not you anymore. But if I would wanted to sell to you, let's say, a really cool navigation system that's super mobile, um, now now we're in business, now we're talking to so your avatar and what you need has completely changed. And I think people really need to go and think about how they are going to to crawl into the minds of their potential clients and their customers and understand what they're experiencing now. And it's not so much, you know, the marketers always say what keeps them up at night. Yeah, yeah, we heard this a thousand times. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about envision a woman who is 36 years old, who has two kids. Her husband's on a business trip. She wakes up, finds out one of her kids has fever, just threw up. 
has to figure out, you know, how to get a babysitter for a sick child, very difficult, bring the other child to the daycare, uh, arrives at work, the boss calls her in, this jerk John made up some story that she now has to defend herself that she didn't even know that came up while they were golfing over the weekend, which she cannot do because she was at a child's birthday party and she doesn't golf. So now, you know, and next thing, you know, she's in her office, she's so mad, she accidentally spills the coffee over herself and now you call. So what's the difference between her picking up that phone and treating you like, thank God a marketer is calling me because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to just let him have it to Brian, thank God you called. I need somebody to, you know, really help me, help me out here. What, how, how do you need to show up for that? And that's what you want to know when you, when you make these phone calls or you reach your clients is like, what's going on right now? What are they worried about? They're worried about what the heck works? Where are my leads coming from? Why why are people so hesitant to buy? Why is the money so tight? Why am I, you know, am I still doing the right thing? What's the next trend? What's shifting? Is there really a recession? When is this going to get any better? You need to have answers for the questions your clients are having. Those right. answers, not on why is nobody buying my stuff? Um, you kind of mentioned it, uh, the word there, uh, recession. Uh, it's not um, it's not crazy talk to think that that's going to happen here any time in the near future. Uh, I, I can't say that, you know, financial markets are crazily stable and all of this stuff with everything going on in the world. Um, if we dip into something, do you have any uh, advice for business owners? I mean, you just mentioned really... Um, shifting your avatar your your ideal client there along with it um is that the go-to or is there other things that uh, people can keep in mind as maybe the economy gets a little shaky and, and they're trying to hold things together so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep this so simple it's not even gonna be funny it is if all your competitors are stopping to advertise if your competitors are worried if your competitors are scared, if your competitors are worried about what's going to happen, what do you think you should do? The opposite. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, that's that's amazing. Like last time I went to the supermarket, people were still buying stuff. Right. We went to the car dealership. People are buying Teslas like there's no tomorrow. Um, last time I checked, you know, everybody I know just been to Mexico, so they're clearly they're traveling. They're talking about a record travel season, so people must have money to go and go somewhere. The idea of our system is designed to keep you in check. So as long as you worry about what you're being told to worry about, which is directed by a bunch of old white guys that are holding on to power until it literally blows up their brains. That directs all the things that are being done and written about. Can you believe, you know, the T word, the whatever, what's happening here and all this and all that and all that. And all it does, it contracts your world to a very small space. Now you're thinking protecting. So I want your listeners to think about this for one second. What is your physical hand gesture when you're protecting? It is your hands above and it's an energy that pushes down. Now, if I say we are growing, 
now the energy goes up. So this is the difference in this trap, and I've been through this for decades and decades and decades. This repeats itself over and over again, which is why we always stay where we are. We always repeat what we've done before, then we come back to it, then we repeat it again, then it gets better, it gets worse, then it's the left, it's the right, it's the this, it's the that. It's a flicking game. So you just need to stop participating in this and say, I make a personal commitment to finding the opportunity in this market. Where is it? finding it, um, pivoting, being flexible in your business and just. <laughs> yes. Yes. There is a lot going on right now. I mean, I had this conversation last week, Brian, you know, we sat down with my team and I'm like, man, I mean, what the heck is going on here? Like, what am I not seeing? I know there's an opportunity. There's, there's, there's the law of opposites, right? So that means if it's white, there's black. If it's black, there's white. So if one exists, the other must exist because you couldn't determine it's black unless there was white. So if there's no opportunity, then there must be opportunity. So you you have to figure out what it is that you're not seeing. This, this is a classic mindset stuff. These are all the universal laws. Um, and the best book on it is Working with the Law, where where he really takes you through all of that. It's a, it's, it's a pretty esoteric reading, but for anybody who actually wants to know how these universal laws work and they are a lot of times backed by science where scientists say, well, this law works in nature. If it works in nature, of course, it's a law that must work for you too, unless you think that for some reason that everything that works in the world and how the world is created and science works that somehow that doesn't apply to you, but then I can't help you anyway. Um, I mean, humans are pretty, pretty egotistical, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, that's amazing to me when somebody says, this doesn't apply to me. I'm so special. I'm like, you sure are. Because <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's about the understanding of what you can influence. And the only thing you really can influence is yourself, your outcome, your, your, your viewpoint, right? Your outcome is your vision. So if I know that I'll need to make a million dollars to join a particular uh, association and I want to be in this association really, really, really bad, all I need to do is hold that vision. I want to be in this organization by December 23rd this year. I have no idea I'm going to get there, but that's the vision. That's where I'm going for. If you feel like eating steak, you're not going to go to a seafood place. You're going to look for a steak place. I was, I could have been, I could have been very easily satisfied when I was younger. My biggest goal that I had in my life, I, I would sit around and I thought if I really make it, I'll be able to wear a new pair of socks every day. Wow. Cause you know, when you put on a new pair of like gym socks and That's... how good they feel, oh my I was God. like, if I could get to a point in my life where I could just throw away or donate socks every day and just have a new pair, <laughs> I would have been easily satisfied. <laughs> and 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 let me guess, there was a point in your life where you actually could do that, right? I, I mean, yeah, I could have, and it wasn't that important to me anymore. <laughs> yes, and and that and that and that is the other thing is that you cannot be afraid to change that direction. When the direction, when the direction changes for you, you know, it's like going back to, you know, stuff with my mother, you know, for a long time, it was just about 
kind of proving something to her until that just became irrelevant. And it was more about proving it to myself that I was right all along. What um, was the goal to sell your, your business in the recession? Yes. Was that, that was the intent. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, I, I was listening to you talk about roadmaps. And I was just wondering if that was a, a opportunity that came about or if that was the end goal to begin with. That was the end goal. So I had, um, you know, at this point, I had been through, again, fires, floods, riots, earthquakes, September 11th, a lawsuit. You know, people had betrayed me, lied to me, taken things stolen from me. I, you know, I lost a half a million dollars in one day in September 11th. I lost my key vendor in a tsunami. I mean, this is all stuff that just doesn't really happen to people. I mean, certainly not in that quantity. I mean, at one point, I, th I thought this is somebody with a frying pan, a really mean person with a frying pan, N not not the Teflon ones, but the the really heavy cast iron ones. And just every time I, I recover, just whacks me over the head. And <laughs> and I was $135,000 in debt and I couldn't figure out. It's like, man, I mean, what what am I, what am what else can I possibly do? And then I go to Germany. My dad has a stroke. My dad didn't have a stroke. My father had pan pancreatic cancer. And then my dad dies. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, all right, this is, this is uh, en enough of this already. This is too much. And I surrendered and I said, you know, I've done everything. I've written the business plan. I've written a letter to the president of the United States in my desperation. I've done everything I possibly could to, to do this, but this is not outside of my control. I, I literally, literally couldn't do anything else. I was so in debt. I had no more moves. That was it. I mean, it was literally game over. I came back and then I get a letter from the White House. And this letter from the White House puts me in touch with a small business administration, which is an organization here in the United States that helps uh, people to get funding through and, and, and help to run your business through government, uh, uh, government uh, help. And they helped me find a bank, restructured my debt into a 10-year fixed loan, freed up my line of credit. Three months later, I'm break even. So that's how close it was, was three months between bankruptcy and between break even. And then 18 months later, I'm the world leader in my category because, you know, we talk about authority platform building. So what had happened is that um, I had gone into a business on purpose that had an equity based component to it that I could sell because I would set up systems and processes and systems that would run without me that made money while I wasn't there. That was a conscious decision I made. And it was just at a time where this part of the market just started to explode and what I didn't think about is that these photographers that were the A-listers, because you always go up the A-listers, don't waste your time with B and C, just go straight to A. Um, it's a much better, much better target. And went after, and I found out that suddenly they would bring in these at-home stories from celebrities like Madonna, Francis Ford Coppola, Seal, Madonna, and they said, well, these stories just came out of embargo. Can you sell them? Well, I was a photo editor at Elle magazine. Now, how is that for a nice loop back to the beginning of my career? I used to buy these stories. And so now I'm selling these stories and I, you know, and what a great business. I would get Madonna's house in. I put it on the ticker um, back then, a fax machine before computers, really. And I put it out and in the morning I came in and I literally had 30 orders worth, what, $30,000, $40,000 sitting there. And all I had to do is go to the publicist and get the approval. And that is what made us the world leader in this particular category. And I thought I was going to sell this other 
piece of the business, that that was the hook. But then this piece became the show horse. And that's what an, a Bill Gates company, you know, in this one moment in time that wanted to expand a product offering for a high-end celebrity brand that it couldn't grow because it was high touch. And they wanted to add something to it. And I literally was the only option for them to add. And then they asked me how I did it. I said, I wasn't going to tell them. They said, well, what do we do? I said, you have to buy it. They said, fine. They said, how much? I said, millions. They said, fine. You got, you know, those, those are the great, uh, the great moments when you realize that you can say what you want because they want it and they have everything they want. They have everything you need. <laughs> Money. Yeah. Fantastic. They have more than they know what to do with. It's the best part. Yes. And, and, and so that's how, that's how the story then went. But I mean, I had, I, it was, it was not just clear about myself. I also wanted to take care of the team. I wanted to take care of the photographers. I had a, a six months transition plan and integration plan. We did a one year integration in six months. I trained all the salespeople all over the world myself. I created all the training materials I made sure that these guys got their money back in in three years, and they did. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was a, that was important to me. Um, we're coming up on an hour. Uh, I usually like to give, yeah, yeah. I usually like to give the guest um, an opportunity to just kind of lay out what they have going on, uh, where guests can find them, things like that, and then anything you want to leave the audience with. Uh, the kind of give the floor to you to go as long as you want or short as you want, and uh, we'll wrap up. Yeah, sounds good. So um, for, for all of you who've now heard something and you go, I must speak to her, go to uncoverysession.com. It's a 15-minute complimentary session with one of our business growth advisors. Let's just talk about your business and see if there's anything we can help you with. Um, make sure you mention the show so you get priority treatment. Um, the second thing I want to say, please do yourself a favor. Go to wherever you listen to The Lots Project right now. And give Brian a five-star review with a comment. And the reason I want you to do that is because it influences the algorithm so that this powerful show can get in front of more people. And while you're at it, will you share this episode with one other person that needs to hear what we talked about today? And uh, I have a quiz that I all encourage you to take. If you feel that you have a business growth blocker somewhere and you can't quite put your hands on it, you're stuck you feel that you're pushing against the wall and it's not moving and you're not sure what's going on, it's called Growth Blocker Quiz. It's free. It's two minutes. And in a couple of minutes, you'll find out sort of where you are, where you're stuck. You can also, of course, reach out to me on social media. The thing that I do, my super skill that I'm better than anyone I know, and I say this with every pride and brag possible, is I know how to take everything that people know and put it under one umbrella and create signature systems so that you can sell more, more often at different price points to more people. That's, that's pretty powerful. Absolutely. I have, uh, I have all those links in the video notes and the audio notes. Uh, I really appreciate, uh, the review and the five star and, uh, and the sharing. That's, uh, that's something I'm being very intentional about. And you, you just, you, you were able to do it for me. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, I appreciate you being here. I, what a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I'm definitely going to take your quiz and, and look into your stuff. And I encourage all my listeners to. Uh, if you'll hang out for a second, I, uh, I will, uh, I'll drop you off. I'll close things up and we'll chat for just a minute.
All right. I appreciate you being here. All right. I want to thank Biete for coming on and, uh, and joining me tonight on Lots to Talk About. Be sure to check out the links in the audio and the video descriptions for more valuable information. With that, this has been another episode of Lots to Talk About. Be sure to leave a review or share it with a friend. We will catch up with you next time.